MS-13, the notorious gang, seems to operate with impunity in South America and in the United States, but not quite. Michael Santini, for purposes of safety, not his real name, is now special agent in charge of Miami for Homeland Security Investigations, was working in San Francisco. He led a multi-agency effort resulting in the arrest of more than 30 members of MS-13, and he joins me now. Mr. Santini, good to have you on. Happy to be here. Thank you, Tom. First of all, tell us about the nature of MS-13 in terms of where it originated, how it has spread around the world, and what it's generally like compared to, say, something people are maybe more familiar with, like the old-fashioned mafia. Sure. Well, uh, MS-13 was founded in the 1980s. Uh, not sure of the exact year, but in the 80s. Um, and uh, at a time period when a lot of uh, Central American immigrants were uh, going to Los Angeles, California. Uh, when those immigrants got to California at that time period, there were major gang issues, and those gang issues were uh, a lot of a lot of power struggles between the Bloods and the Crips gangs from from that time period. These were primarily uh, African American gangs, and uh, there was a lot of bloodshed on the streets at that time. So when these Central American immigrants arrived, they started to just be, as they moved into some of the poorer neighborhoods started to have significant contact with these gangs. And in an effort to protect themselves from the Bloods and Crips and other gangs that were established in Los Angeles, they founded the MS-13 gang. At the time, the gang was just called Mara Salvatrucha. There was no 13 attached to that. The 13 came later um, when the gang became more widespread and prominent in the area. Uh, they decided they were going to affiliate with the uh, Mexican mafia in um, California prisons. And the Mexican Mafia, the 13, is the 13th letter of the al alphabet, which is the M, which is the uh, symbol for uh, MA or Mexican Mafia. Sure. Uh, and how did this come to be a federal matter, or has it always been a federal matter? No, it hasn't been always a federal manner, uh, matter. Uh, the the state and local police were had been struggling for a long time to deal with not just MS-13, but gangs in general. Um, that, you know, so the state and locals don't have the luxury of being as proactive as uh, federal law enforcement entities. State and local police departments have to be reactive. They get a call, and a 911 call, and they go out and they respond. And then that's pretty much the foundation of their work. Whereas uh, the feds have the luxury of sitting back and analyzing data and uh, developing target lists and taking all the great information the state and locals are able to gather over time doing these reactive calls and start to, to put the pieces together to uh, build federal cases against the gangs. And these gangs have pretty good, to put it bluntly, firepower too, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, in the case in San Francisco, uh, the gang members used everything Everything from something as simple as an ice pick to uh, AK-47s and, and uh, shotguns with uh, multiple round drum magazines. And because they do communicate and work actively with people that are in federal prisons, I imagine that's another good reason for the feds that have knowledge of both sides of the bars, if you will, to be part of this investigation. Absolutely. We often find, uh, and as we did in the San Francisco case, that... Uh, that gang members even run parts of their cliques or their, their gangs from the prison. So oftentimes then you'll see gang members, not just prisons in the United States, but even prisons as far as in, in Central America, in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, you'll have gang leaders uh, utilizing cell phones and making, making calls for the gang from, from their prison. 
We're speaking with Michael Santini. He is special agent in charge of Miami for Homeland Security Investigations right now. And this operation that you conducted in San Francisco, Operation Devil Horns, that resulted in these 30 arrests of MS-13. Tell us what you can about it and how it worked. Well, uh, the case started in in 2003 or 4. I think uh, late 2003, I started to uh, receive information from my uh, the San Francisco Police Department Gang Task Force, and they were providing a lot of uh, intelligence that the MS-13 gang was really prominent in San Francisco, that they had really uh, developed a stronghold there and had about 100 active members. And uh, so... Taking that information and working hand-in-hand uh, in hand with my counterparts on the, on the state and local level, we started to develop target lists. That turned into us developing some sources of information or some informants uh, within the gang. And uh, over the next four years, we utilized those informants to infiltrate the gang. And uh, eventually that led to uh, the dismantlement of the criminal organization. And what about the FBI? Where do they come into all of this? The FBI had a collateral case similar to the one HSI had at the time, but their case never really got off the ground. I don't want to get too too deep into the competition between federal agencies, but there is definitely uh, competition. Um, but we did work with our FBI counterparts, but uh, ultimately the HSI took a bigger bite of out of the gang than uh, the FBI did in the long run, although they did have some success in uh and arresting some members of the gang. And it sounds like quite a challenge maintaining safely undercover people for a period of four years. Absolutely. We utilized multiple informants throughout the case. Some some kind of fizzled out early on, and others were able to maintain uh, their presence there throughout. Uh, we used them in different roles. Some were able to just provide general information. Some were able to assist us in purchasing large quantities of narcotics and firearms. So um, the elders helped us seize guns. So we, we utilized them in different capacities throughout the course of the investigation, but it was definitely challenging ensuring that uh, everyone remained safe throughout the course of the investigation. And do you feel that MS-13 is maybe growing more sophisticated? I mean, I read a story and I had one interview recently where they informed me that this idea of covering from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet with tattoos is going by the wayside because of how easily it identifies them. Yes. In fact, uh, a lot of the cliques now, although I'm not sure if it's if it's an international uh, rule because they do have uh, regloso rules that the gang, most of the gangs or the, the members follow these rules. But uh, I know a lot of the, 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 the subsets or the cliques of the gang are starting to do have a no tattoo rule where they're at, where they're indicating that they, they cannot have any tattoos on their bodies associated with MS-13 because they're easily identifiable by law enforcement. And the people that are informants, do they have to end up in witness protection or can they go back to their community? What happens to those folks? It depends. In our case, we had, I believe, three informants in witness protection, ultimately. And what do you think is the long-term battle here? I mean, it sounds highly tactical and 30 of them are put in jail, but there's probably 100 more recruited in the months they've been in prison. What do you think for the federal government? What's the long-term game here to try to root out what is really a pretty scary situation? I mean, I think that HSI is uh, specially suited to tackle this problem because we have uh, dual authorities. We have both criminal and administrative authority. We utilize those authorities uh, to tackle the gangs, and the administrative authority is the immigration authority. Although we're not uh, immigration agents, we do have uh, the authority 
to arrest somebody on immigration charges. And MS-13 gang members are primarily uh, foreign nationals that come to the United States uh, in a lot of instances illegally. So that dual approach of being able to develop criminal cases against the gang, as well as utilize the immigration charges to have gang members removed from the country, I think together really gives us a unique power to tackle and combat the gang. Are you also able to share information with ICE and Customs and Border Protection? Because they often have, I imagine, knowledge of the nature of the people coming over the border. Absolutely, we do. We work with them hand in hand to generate quality intelligence to locate these gang members. Uh, If they're here illegally, we'll, of course, do our best to arrest them on immigration charges. And if we can develop criminal cases on them, we try to do that as well. And where you are now in Miami, and we've heard that it's in the Washington, D.C. area, we know, is this spreading from city to city or do you think it maybe is contained somewhat? Gosh, I can't say it's contained, although it's been 10 years since our uh, large takedown of, of the gang in the Devil Horns case, I do still speak with some of my San Francisco Police Department counterparts who indicate that the gang is back. And uh, although still small scale compared to what it was back in the day when we were uh, investigating them, they are back. Uh, so I think that it's it really fluctuates depending on where you are and really how hard law enforcement works to combat the gang. I think it needs to be a continued, sustained effort. And uh, if you're laxed in the enforcement side, the gang will come back and force. Michael Santini, not his real name, is Special Agent with Homeland Security Investigations. Thanks so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Thanks. Have a great day. We'll post a link to this interview as well as to his book, Operation Devil Horns, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 